message today is entitled Fundamental Principles of Christian Living. Fundamental Principles of Christian Living. Verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in the lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. <clears throat> and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, that I've entitled this Principles of Christian Living and principle, Fundamental Principles of Christian Living because I do believe after a little digression in chapter, in chapter 3 and verses 17, 18, 19, uh, Peter turns back into the main topic of his, of his epistle, which is guiding Christians on how to live their lives among persecution, difficulties. And here he's going to sum it up in terms of the very core principles that should guide the lives of Christians. Now, everybody, anyone, whether Christian or not, they have principles. They live by principles. They have a set of fundamental, fundamentally important things that they hold to themselves, and they help them to make decisions, to face trials, to face suffering. Everybody has it. Now, you have it. You may not realize it. You're not, you may not be aware of your principles, but you do have it. Now, I ask you, as we go through this text, that you would accept what the Word of God has to say about the, the principles you should have, not the principles you do have. The main point here is we were, we're going to look at what principles should guide the way Christians live. If you're a Christian, pay attention, please. Now, the first principle. Look to Christ, for He is your example. Let's turn to verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Which mind? Peter here is talking about a specific type of suffering, you see? Not any type of suffering. 
This type of suffering he's talking about, he has alluded to it in chapter 3, verse 14. If you look at there, you see. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. So it is a suffering for righteousness' sake. It's not a suffering because of a death, not the suffering because of physical pain. Even though the Bible talks about the, all other types of suffering, Peter is not talking about this types of suffering here. He also alludes to it in, in still chapter 3, but verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So it's a suffering for righteousness sake, it's a suffering for doing good, and it's a suffering because God wants you to go through it. So it's a suffering for the will of God. He also alludes to it, and now you understand why he is putting Jesus as our example in verse 18 of chapter 3. Just before he does the, the digression in verses 19 to 22. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Christ suffered a particular suffering. And we should look to that as our example. Now, Jesus' suffering had a purpose, if we can see in verse 18. What's the purpose of Jesus' suffering? To bring us to God. It wasn't for his own benefit. The will of God had to be fulfilled, and Jesus went to the cross and suffered for it, so to accomplish the will of God. Now, if you want to look at Matthew 26 in chapter 26 in verses 36, starting on 36, we'll look at how the mind of Christ approaching the suffering, because different from us, Jesus knew the suffering was coming. And the anticipation of that suffering to him brought him agony. Now, in Matthew 26, if we look on chapter 38, and we talked about this on our breaking of bread just this week. Then he said to them, that's Jesus said to a few disciples he had with him in the garden of Gethsemane. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So he's, he's, he is admitting he is sorrow, sorrowful because of the anticipation of what's going to come on Calvary. Now, it's interesting to see in verse 39, he prays to the Father, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Also down in verse 42, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus knew he was going to suffer for the will of God. He knew he was going to suffer personal loss, but he chose instead to do the will of God. To do the will of God. In the same way we as Christians, Peter calls us to look at this example, because we as Christians should have God's will regulating our lives not our own will, not our own desires. Let's look at verse 1 again of 1 Peter 4. Verse 1 again continues. So, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. So put on this arm, armor. Arm yourselves with the same mind. Prepare your mind. Be ready to 
For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So we are called to live being controlled by the will of God, just as Christ was controlled by the will of God. Now, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, Colossians 3 says something very interesting about your will and about your life. Colossians, you don't have to go there, but Colossians 3, 1 talks about how we are hidden in Christ. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. But then it even goes further, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. We have died for our own lusts and desires, for our own selves, and we are now hidden in Christ. Even further, Galatians 2, 19. If you go to Galatians 2, 19, you're going to see even further. For I, through, that's Paul saying, I, through the law, die to the law that I might live to God. I'm, I'm dead for a purpose, to live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ is our example. Christ is our example. We are saved to give up our will and become slaves of God. Let's go to Romans 12, uh, Romans 14, sorry. Romans 14. Romans 14, 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Talking about Christians. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are personal property of God now. You've been redeemed. If you have been redeemed, you have been redeemed to be the personal property of God. And not only that, in 1 Peter 2, verse 15, Peter uses a very interesting word to define Christians. 1 Peter 2, 15, for this is the will of God, again, the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Those outside, they're still dead in sin and trespasses. Now, verse 16, as free, we should live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of Christ. Now, the word bond service here is actually doulai, the Greek doulai, which means slave. We are called to be slaves of God, to give up our will and follow the will of God. So Christians are, are to follow this different pattern. And this is a different pattern. It's a con contrasting pattern, contrasting both to what you, you as a Christian used to do when you weren't a Christian, when you weren't called by God, when you were lost in sins, and also what people outside are still doing. Let's go to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. So 1 Peter 4, verse 3. 
For we, and then the apostle is including himself there, have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, which is the will of the flesh, which is whatever I want you to do at the time I want you to do. When we walked in lewdness, lewdness, a very interesting word, indulgence of corrupt passions, lewdness. You might have in your, in your version indecent behavior, debauchery, sensuality. We walked in lusts, flashy, flash, flashy passions, indulging in unlawful desires. We walked in drunkenness or overflowing with wine or excess of wine, if you have in your, in your Bible. Substance-induced intoxication, not wanting to see reality, wanting to hide yourself from reality by being intoxicated. We walked in reveries. Reveling, some, some translations will put it even as orgies. This is, refers to a sort of a feast or a merrymaking indulgence that, people, that Greek, the Greek and Romans had after su a supper. That gas would overflow the city with torches and dances and uh, in honor of the Roman god Bacchus, the god of drinking, the god of reverie, of religious ecstasy. Lot, lots to think about there. We walked in drinking parties for banquetings. It has nothing to do with eating. It is gatherings of, for purposely drinking wine. So it's a gathering together for the purpose of drinking. And we walked in abominable idolatries, as the, the apostle says. Lawless idolatry. Just literally unlawful idolatry, detestable idolatry. Anybody and anyone that takes the place of God in your heart is, a, is an idol. And we walked putting everything and anything in the place of God. But we are not that, like that anymore. So if you strive for true Christian living, you should expect to be disliked and even blasphemed by unbelievers. Verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6. Let's look at verses 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. In regard to this, they think it's strange. They that outside still living in their own lusts and doing their own will, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, literally the overflowing of dissipation, speaking evil of you, which could be the speaking evil of you. The term is literally blaspheming you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Oh, they will give an account. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit, just as men in the past did. They received the word of God. They were ostracized. They were persecuted. They were, they were killed. They were condemned by, by men in the flesh, but... They live according to God in the spirit, just as like, like Jesus did, right? We saw in verse 18, it's the same, the same sentence, the same structure of the sentence. So look to Christ for he is your example. Second principle, do not be half-hearted for time is pressing. Do not be half-hearted for time is pressing. Our approaching end is a powerful argument to make us sober in all worldly matters. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. 
And then it follows with a list of very practical implications of that truth. We are called to redeem the time, to buy up, ransom the time in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. You can go there or just write down if you want. We are called to have in mind that the time is short. Every single day you live is one day less. God saved you and called you and you're still alive for a purpose. He has his will. You ought to live for his will. You ought to find out what his will is and start living it because the time is pressing. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Dial up your prayer. Take prayers seriously. And above all things, have fervent love. The word really fervent <laughs> or earnest or deep is literally stretched out. Dial up your love. Put your love to the max. They have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Probably not that love will forgive any sin, but by loving others, you overlook the little sins. And more than that, by loving others, you'll fulfill this part of the law. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 22. We can go there. Matthew 22, verse 36. When he's asked, what are the, oh, summarize, oh, Jesus, summarize the law, please. He was asked by somebody, I can't remember, let's see, 36, yep, a lawyer. A lawyer asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment, which is the great or the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So love, love God. Oh, if we, if we only could love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength with all our soul. This is the first and great commandment, verse 39. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If only we could love people as God loved us, how much would we, wouldn't we live differently than we live today? Love also is called the bond of perfection in Colossians 3, in verse 14. The bond of perfection that binds together Christians. So we should love people, love others wholeheartedly as Christ loved us. First Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, it's very common to the apostles, and Paul does it in two, two passages, in Romans 12 and Hebrews, and uh, the author of Hebrews does in Hebrews 13, is exhorting Christians to be hospitable. And I think there is a reason when you're, we can fall into the routines of life and forget about that, and close in and say, I'm comfortable here, or oh, I'm suffering, I'm not going to, you're not going to, exercise hospitality today. We are called to be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without complaining, really. Stop complaining, right? And in the light of what God did for us and of what Christ did for us on the cross, 
being hospitable is but a little thing because he brought enemies to his table by giving his only begotten son. How much shouldn't we open our houses, our hearts to others? Verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are all given gifts as Christians. All given gifts. And Peter is emphasizing, use them. Use them to God. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Literally, the utterances of God. The very words of God. Remember that we are... We are called in Ephesians 4, and we can go there, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 25. We are called to, to have a specific pattern of speaking, or seek something when we're speaking. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then down in verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So seek whatever edifies people. And what edifies people more than the very word of God? Soak yourself with it. Read it, memorize it, live it. Read it so much that if somebody cuts you, you bleed the word of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. So if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And here he's talking about ministering in the sense of... The word we use to minister here is the same word we use for deacons. It's serving. Sharing resources. We all have resources at our hand. God puts in our, in our lives. Not for our own good. Not for our own. He doesn't. We don't need that. We're given gracefully. But we can use for the will of God. For the service of God. Recall that. Of him. Of God. And through God. And for God are all things. Why shouldn't your things be the same? So use your possessions for God. Make it count. That's the second principle. Do not be half-hearted for time is pressing. The third and final principle. Seek to glorify God for he is your sovereign. That's down in verse 11. Laugh, uh, the half, second half of the first, verse 11. So, if anyone speaks, let him speak to the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Now, that in all things God, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The language is really of God already has the power. He is already, uh, the kingdom is his. He has the right to have it. Just given what he has the right 
Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Paul talking about a different topic, but gets to the same conclusion. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are called to do everything, everything we do to the glory of God. In fact, Philippians 1.9 talks about a very interesting thing. That we are, we are called and we are sanctified to the glory of God. God is working in us to his own glory. Philippians 1 and verse, I bet it's verse 9 that I just said. And this I pray, this is Paul talking to the Philippians. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's sanctification. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. So being sanctified to the glory and the praise of God. So seek to glorify God in everything, for he's your servant. These are the fundamental principles of Christian living. First, look to Christ, for he's your example. Second, do not be half-hearted, for time is pressing. Third, seek to glorify God in everything, for he is your sovereign. This is how we will be able to live a life for God in this dying world.